chapter 11. As we continue in our series uh, through 1 Corinthians called Run to Win. Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, thank you so much for uh, this morning, for each person here. Lord, for uh, the, the body of believers we have, the family we have here. Um, God, the, the fellowship we have with you and one another. And we pray that you just uh, speak to us this morning by your spirit, that you'd minister to us and that you would encourage and you'd, um, Lord, just uh, touch us, right? Just exactly the way we need, um, in the way we need, God, that we would be open, receptive, their hands open towards you the things we're holding, the things that are burdens, the things that are bumming us out, that we'd lay it all down at your feet and just allow you to speak in this time. We pray you'd put away distractions and and uh, just we'd be able to focus and, and hear from you this morning. So we just uh, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, as we've been going through 1 Corinthians, it's been a challenge, right? This is This book is... Not easy. Uh, a lot of it is because it's speaking to, you know, a pretty carnal world. Um, and, and we've spoken many times on the uh, parallels from the church in Corinth to 2019 church in Southern California. There's a lot there, right? They were pretty arrogant. They really struggled with authority. They struggled with putting others ahead of themselves. They wanted to be the smartest, be the most knowledgeable, the most, uh, free, the, you know, have the most Liberty. Um, they thought they were something. And as we've gone through this, this book, we've seen Paul again and again is trying to bring them back from thinking so highly about themselves and to seeing Christ for who he is and what he wants to do in their lives. And Paul being one of the founders of the church of Corinth, is like pleading with them, please don't let sin come in. Please don't let uh, these liberties take away from what God is doing here. Don't love your liberties. Don't love your identity, your uh, place more than Jesus. More than each other. Right? We know what are the two greatest commandments, right? Again, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. That's it, right? What are the, what is the greatest? And he says, there's two, that's it. And so they've been struggling with all kinds of different issues, things that were like, aren't obviously relevant so much to us. The principle is, but the thing itself isn't like eating meat offered to an idol, but it deals with a deeper issue of, are you willing to lay something aside for your brother? Are you willing to allow them to have the higher place and you take the lower one? That's kind of been the whole thing that he's been going through. And, and uh, this section is very difficult, especially in 2019. But I think it was probably somewhat difficult then, too, because we know who these people are. You know there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> like, and is that like, that's somewhat like horrifying, but it's also somewhat like comforting, right? Like that there's nothing new. Mankind has been doing the same thing forever, Right? Like, it looks a little bit different, but it's just the same. Right? It kind of takes on a little bit of a different mask, but it's the same stuff. Right? That was Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, said that. There's nothing new under the sun. 
vanity of vanities, right? Us thinking that we're actually accomplishing something in and of ourselves. But chapter 11 starts off, and there's some question here as to if this really goes with the theme of chapter 10, or is it continuing on in chapter 11? The answer is yes. I think it's both. Um, There's no chapter breaks, like, you know, there's no, scripture wasn't given like that, where Paul's like, oh, and chapter 10 done, you know. And verse 1, verse 2, this was later done, so it's easier to kind of understand where we're going. And they did a pretty good job. But somewhat, you, you got to look, oh, I can't go into the next chapter because that's not part of it. And I, I generally do follow in those breaks because, like I said, I think they're good. But as, as far as verse 1 goes, Paul says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. That can absolutely go along with the end of verse uh, of chapter 10. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Saying, I put my liberties on the shelf. I put my rights, so to speak, on the shelf for others so that I can reach them. Because I'm mature. I'm secure that my rights can be put aside. I don't always need that piece of cake. <laughs> Just because it's there doesn't mean I should take it. Just because I have the ability to eat it doesn't mean it's always a good idea to do so. Especially when there's somebody sitting there that, that you know, it might be either an issue for one way or the other. So he says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now, this is a bold claim, right? How many of us would be able to say, sit here and say, all right, hey, okay, you want to know what it looks like to imitate Christ and follow Jesus? Just follow me. Who would be that, like, who would be that person that would be like, oh, um, okay, if you, if you want to know what it looks like to be a Christian, just, just follow me around for a while, you know. That should be simple enough. You'd get it from that. I think it would be uh, really obvious as to what exactly a Christian would look like. Well, I think um, our inability to say that is probably partially because we're like, you know, that sounds kind of, I don't want to be arrogant or I don't want to be this or that. But there's also a whole other avenue where you're like, oh, well, there's probably some things you probably shouldn't imitate me on, right? (laughs) Like, do as I say, not as I do. Listen, son. I know what I said. What I said is good. What I did was a little different, right? Really, it's an accountability, though, for Paul to say, look, I'm willing to stand in front of you guys because I really am seeking to imitate Christ. But he also gives the little caveat or whatever you would call it at the end. He says, just as I also imitate Christ. So as soon as I'm no longer imitating Christ, you can just go ahead and stop focusing on me here. And if you see that I've gone off the rails, don't keep imitating me. Don't follow me into the ditch. We we like to do that, right? We'll be like, oh, oh, I'm going to follow that person. Wherever they go, I will follow them. Terrible, terrible, terrible thing to think, okay? Because people go really bad places. Have you noticed that? (laughs) Like sometimes we do that too. Like, follow me. I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. You're like, okay, don't really know where I'm going, you know? We got to be careful, right? But he says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. He really is seeking to imitate Christ, to be like Jesus. So that's, with that mindset, to be like Jesus, it, it actually works with the 
chapter before and this chapter. Verse 2. Now, it's going to get interesting. Stick with me, especially ladies. All right. Now, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. Uh, there's a sense of sarcasm here because they absolutely were did not... Uh, esteem Paul super highly amongst them, you know, as a whole. Uh, and they were doing their own thing. This is why he's writing the letter. Uh, he says, here's the, you did not, you know, as you keep the traditions, just as I delivered them to you. Uh, the idea that they're delivered to you means it's kind of like I'm passing them on. And we see Paul saying again and again, the gospel message, which I give to you, I received. It's not like a new thing. Like, here's a new look at Christianity. You're like, no, no, no. We don't need a new look. This is it. This is the good one. This is all there is. Like, I'm delivering to you what I have received. It's been given to me. Now I give it to you. And so the, and the traditions, you don't think like ornate, traditional, like, here's the things that, you know, now come before, you know, the altar and wave it four times and, you know, with the smoking, you know, it's not like that. The idea of traditions is just keeping the teachings, the foundations that were laid before you. And it, we'd be fools to say that having foundations, uh, like, uh, is not important. That's why we did the art, you know, thing last year on core values, like who we are, what we do. This is important. Gospel centered, uh, that we'd be gospel centered through God's word. That's important. Established in God's word, guided by the Holy spirit. If the Holy spirit's not moving in you, that's an issue to be grace inspired. We've got to be established in grace or we're going to have issues with each other. Cause you're going to look at each other and say, you're a sinner. I don't know what to do with that. Well, if you understand the grace you've been given, you extend that same grace. There's honesty. There's transparency that we would be growing and grounded, founded in the Lord. Full of gratitude, right? Um, Living our lives full of thanks. Giving of ourselves. Being willing to give to others and, and to the ministry of God. And then going out into the world to be able to go and preach and, and to tell the world. This is the kind of foundational tradition, so to speak, that Paul would have laid out. Like, he's really, you know, read the scriptures, pray, love one another, tell people about Jesus. That's pretty simple. Gather. Don't forsake this gathering of being together. But those are like kind of the traditions He spoke of verse three, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every, of a woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Okay. So you can leave now. Apparently, you know what I'm saying? Here we go. 2019 It's going to challenge our 2019 view, but it's important that you don't turn off because it's important to understand what this is really all about because it's not, Necessarily, we like to jump to conclusions, blow things out of proportion. And we live in a world where like the smallest soundbite can be turned into a world war, right? Can you believe he said that? You're like, you cut off the beginning and the end. That's not completely out of, anyway, context. But understand what the issues were in Corinth are very similar to the issues we deal with today, namely authority and submission to God. They wanted it their way. We love Jesus just as long as he doesn't tell me what to do. Right? (laughs) 
I love Jesus. I love being saved by grace. I love what was done on the cross. Just as long as that doesn't mean I have to change my life very much. I'll sing all the songs. I'm a, I have a great singing voice. I even play instruments. But as long as that doesn't mean that I have to change on the inside. There was an issue here in Corinth. And it was an arrogance and a rebellious attitude. You can see it's all in all these chapters beforehand. I know better. I know what the word says. I know better. Remember the guy living with like his, his father's wife? <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I, I know better. I'm okay. And the church says, well, we don't really fully understand how it all works. And there's a whole bunch of grace. You know what? Yeah, just go for it. You know, Paul says, this is cancer to your culture. And it starts with the idea of arrogance. It starts with the idea of lack of authority and rebellious hearts. Rebellious hearts all throughout scripture. You keeping up on that reading going through the year? Rebellion, rebellion. You see it again and again. The children of Israel. So good to be in Joshua, right? You guys enjoying Joshua? (laughs) You made it there. (laughs) We made it through the Pentateuch. It's awesome. Yeah. And that was really good too. There's some really cool stuff that we gained from it, but you're like Leviticus numbers, Deuteronomy. It's good. It's, it's in there drilled in there, but th- that's what it's speaking to. And the idea of head doesn't speak to greater than it's a positional authority. That's just, it's, it's position. I mean, look at what is, uh, Who's mentioned here at the very end? The head of Christ is God. Who's greater? The father or the son? Neither one is greater, but one has authority. They're both (laughs) father, son, Holy Spirit. They just have, there's purpose to the Trinity, right? Was the Holy Spirit draws us to the son and the son points to the father, right? Like that's the whole point of the whole thing. Not one is bad and the other is good or one's lesser and the other is greater. It's just position. And there's a whole bunch of, it is really, really good to understand your position and authority and live in that place. What's not good is trying to be something you're not or not being something you are supposed to be. Amen. Do you guys, do you guys know this feeling? There's something about when you want to have the position of authority, but you're not called to it and you just want it and you want it and you want it. It becomes an obsession. It becomes weird and it does not go well. It causes everyone around you. It's, it causes dysfunction, right? I want the throne. Give me the throne. I deserve the throne. I'm better at this than you are. I, I get I get it. I understand. This is not your position. This is not where you're supposed to be. But on the other hand, being able to understand the authority that you're under can bring great relief. And I've spoken to this before, uh, just my past season working with Aaron Hale, of just being able to like rest easy at night, the pastor, and I'm the assistant. <laughs> oh, I loved that authority that I was under. Because it's like, oh, yeah, we can have a conversation. Yes, I feel valued. Yes, I feel like I'm a part of this. But I'm going to go home and I'm going to go to sleep and not dream about this. But you will. (laughs) You wake up in a cold sweat because you forgot, did I pay the rent? Or did I, you know, anyway, all of these things, right? There's something about being where you're supposed to be. 
the other side of the equation is when you're supposed to have authority, but you don't take it on. You know, that's if there's a, a vacuum in leadership, there will be people that will try to fill that vacuum of leadership and authority. But lucky for us, we have a perfect example of what it looks like to be under in this very much still valuable on the same amount of value system. Jesus, again and again, right? We especially see it. He's like, I, man, I wish this cup would pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Like, I don't want to go to the cross, but Father, this is your plan. John 6.38 says, "For I have, this is Jesus, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus subjected himself to the will of the Father to take on a great, great role. See, if, if there is an issue, of course, we're talking about God, perfection, in the Trinity, But imagine, if you would, if Jesus said, you know what? This is not the way a God should act. I should not be in this position of having to be subjected to all this. But we see that the submission to the will of the Father that we find in the Son as a, as a both fully God and fully man, so str- in a sense struggling with the, the, the weight of it all in a human form, Him being able to endure that's the word, right? Endure the cross, despising the shame. What was accomplished? Something incredible. I think sometimes we think that the person in authority is the one that's going to accomplish something incredible. And I'm just going to be the backup plan, you know? Oh, I'm just going to be the one in the background. You doing what you're supposed to be doing is being faithful, is accomplishing something. We get this idea that accomplishments are all, all palpable in, is that the word? Palpable? In this world that we live in. Like you're going to get to see all of it. This is what a, a good church means. 10,000 people, right? That's what it means. Well, guess what? I guess you're not at a good church. Right? I'm not saying that, though, because that's not how the economy of God works. You just don't know where people are at. God uses people where they're at to be where they're at to do what they're supposed to do. That's not the truth. We think, oh, uh, you know, a good man is someone who's, you know, done well, or a wise man has a lot of money. That doesn't always work like that, does it? The thing we're called to do is not to worry about those kind of things. It's just do what God puts in front of you. And do it well. But going back to this, the idea is that, um, that the head of every man is Christ. And we know that. We have this beautiful picture of Christ and the church is like a marital relationship. And that's what it is given to us as. He is the groom. We are the bride. This is the example. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. There's a, there is a order that God sets out. And it's to be done well on both sides. Submitting to one another. We're going to get into it. Guys, you think, okay, I'm good. That's not true. You'll see. 
Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. Uh, But it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved. Let her be uh, covered. Again, stuff we deal with all the time here in 2019 in Carlsbad, California. But in their culture, especially uh, of this time, the idea of a head covering was one of authority. You were somebody's, you belonged to someone. Not in the sense of ownership, but it's like a, almost like a, a ring or something. Like you, you are taken, you're called, the ones that didn't wear head coverings were generally prostitutes. Same with shaved head. That was the other thing. Uh, in our day and age, this is different, right? It means something a little bit different. Um, this was a thing back then. Actually, Adam Clark said it was a custom both among the Greeks and Romans and among the Jews and expressed law that no woman should be seen abroad without a veil. This was and is a common custom throughout all the East, but none and none but public prostitutes go without veils. Um, so that was a sign, again, of authority, where you say, I don't need this authority. I'm not under authority, meaning I'm up for anything. That was how you would be able to interpret that. And the idea of a man is, is called to be a leader in that sense. Verse 7, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he's the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. Again, think of Christ and the church, right? This is the image that we see, the image of Christ and the church. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. And you're like, oh, no, woman created man. Believe me, I have children, right? You know? No, going back, this is going back to Eden, right? Adam and Eve, right? Read the story, <laughs> He goes and he and he's he's alone and he's looking around and he's seeing all these paired up animals and he's like, I want that. <laughs> I need that. I'm missing that, right? And God says, I'm gonna make you a woman who is who is perfect for you, who's compatible, who's who's just right for you. And so he goes to sleep and what does he take? His wallet, right? And then he makes a woman. No, I'm joking. I'm sorry. That's not funny. That was on the spot. That's not written. I never. I don't think I ever write jokes, okay? It's just so you know. So you can not be that mad. It's not that far thought through in advance. A rib, right? So a rib comes, and then all of a sudden there's a woman, and he's like, whoa, check this out. This is awesome, right? So that was, this is history. This is how it was. It comes from history. Man was created, man was not created for the woman, but the woman for the man. There was a order that was set before creation. Now, what we see is that the, the husband and wife relationship is a heavy image here and a heavy uh, thing for us to see. Guys, if you think you're off free here, think about what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. We're called to love, or 25, we're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. You are uh, been given 
the Christ part of this. Do you actually think that's the good side of this? I mean, you think you got the easy way? Because, you know, sometimes you hear this and you're like, oh, my wife's not really been submitting. So I'm a little bit ticked off now that I think about it. You know, there's not really, uh, she doesn't even understand that she was made for me. Right? Lord, help her see it. I hope she sees it when she goes home and she starts meeting my needs. You were made for me. And that's all there is to it, you know? That's why it's good to read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You having trouble submitting to your husband? Well, don't just do it for him. (laughs) Do it to the Lord. As to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. This is positionally. This is an understanding. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. How did he give himself for her? He died for her. You know, <laughs> that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the, by the word. Husbands, you better not be neglecting your position in this. If you're expecting all this service, you better be doing what you, you're, you're doing here. Especially if she's doing that. <laughs> oh yeah, she's taking care of everything. Good, 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 good. I don't have to do anything. I'm a king in this house. You better realize that she is your wife, but she is God's daughter. And she's doing all this before him. Uh, You just be careful. Because you're called to a great purpose and not just to like kind of love her. You're to to sanctify her, cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. That he might uh, present her to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So the husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. They kind of both sound like sacrifice, don't they? They kind of both sound like service, don't they? It's just understanding position. The idea, I think the people who are good in authority recognize how scary authority is. (laughs) They recognize like, oh, this is a heavy load to be given to me. Man, this is like, This is a lot. You should see it that way. We need to see it that way. For no one ever hated his own flesh. Wait, so, yeah, as their own, husbands should love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. You guys have heard of love and respect, right? That women 
generally desire love and men generally desire respect. They, they both desire both, but there's like a, there's something in there. And I, there's something inside of our DNA and the way God made us that we were meant to fulfill each other. Like we were meant to take care. Respect is absolutely essential in a place of authority, isn't it? Like, and, and men, when men lose their, their authority or they lose their, uh, even like self-confidence to a certain degree, I don't want to get too far into all of that, but it starts getting ugly fast, doesn't it? They start freaking out. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they are. So they try to find something that'll tell them that they're a man. They're still a man. I'm still a man, right? You know, and usually it comes out in really, um, gnarly, sinful stuff. Because they're just trying to grasp at something to feel like they're a man. Because they, no one else makes, lets them feel like that. The, likewise, the woman is not taken care of. She's not loved. She's going to try. And, she's going to find that somewhere, somehow, and it's going to manifest itself in a way that it's not the way it's supposed to be. But because of a, a gap, a void, this is all about both of us, right? And really, we should be able to rest easy in understanding this is a good thing. I was made for this. Because never in here does it say one is better than the other. It just said God has set them where they're supposed to be, right? Just like gifts, just like leadership, set the members in their place as they ought to be. He is the great orchestrator. We're fools to think we know more than God. God, you know, yeah, you said this, but it doesn't make sense anymore. You know, like, when did all authority and all everything start changing? Well, it was like in the 60s was a big part of it, right? Kind of started giving up on, like, authority. And, and now all of a sudden, all the rules are kind of, like, up for grabs. It was way before the 60s. But that's like a new wave of it, right? And there were some great things that happened because sometimes you got to, you got to not, you got to see the corruption for what it is, call it out, change. But with that, and that's like the Jesus movement, right? It was a bunch of knucklehead hippies, right? <laughs> that got saved and God used them. And it was an awesome thing. And it was, it wasn't, it was casual. It was, you know, it was just something God did that was really cool to, to kick against this kind of stale church that had started happening where they're like, don't come in here. You're too dirty, you know? But in the meantime, there were also other things that were happening in that day and time where we threw authority out the window and we said always boils down to this what i think is more important than what anyone else says i'm self-sufficient i am god this has been the problem for mankind for forever is we have wanted to be god we made ourselves god we said this is what's more important this is what makes sense this is where i'm gonna go and so don't, don't hate me for this message. This is the word of God. And, I, and to skip around it would be so cowardly. And it would be like a real, um, it would be like a admission that I really don't believe this is the word of God. You got to take everything in, in, in stride and say, well, you know what? There are some cultural things like the head thing and stuff like that. But there's also some stuff here that really, if we're honest with ourselves, makes a lot of sense. And if we look around, it makes a lot of sense. And even if there's not external head nods, there's internal head nods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do know that. I do know that. 
I do understand that. I do feel that. Verse 10, he says, for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. And he says, because of the angels. Now, this is a whole, as if it wasn't hard enough, we're going to throw the, because there's angels. And you're like, oh, there's angels too. So what, you're going to deal with the head covering. You're going to deal with the, like, telling a woman that she has to listen to her husband, her husband, her dummy husband, you know, or whatever. Sorry, that's not anyone in here. That's hypothetical. That's for the people listening on the podcast. Not really, you know. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just saying, like, hypothetical. Not, not them. The other people. They've never heard this. Those people in a faraway land. It's me. Okay, there you go. Um, but the angels, because of the angels, we have this glimpse that we're not alone, which is also really important to understand. Spiritual warfare is real. Angels and demonic angels are real. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 9, it says, For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. The whole, everybody's watching. Ephesians 3, verses 10 and 11, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like this is our lives being played out is God speaking to his angels and they marvel at what he is doing with us. They're like, why are you messing with them? Why are you giving them the Holy spirit again? Cause they can see everything that's going on. <laughs> they're like, this seems kind of like a lost cause. I think, but cause we see they're like, they're like marveling, like, what is going on over there? How is this anyway? But that there's a something else going on, and it's a witness to them. Not only is it a witness to the angels, it's a witness to the world around us. We're foolish, again, to think that our attitudes and our lifestyles are isolated to only affecting us and our immediate family. The choices you make affect you, your immediate family, those who work around you, those who live around you. Those, and you could see how all of that can start having this ripple effect. And we all are watching a culture change because of individual decisions that have come this far. Get it? That's why everything, it always starts with you. What's, where does revival start? With you. Right? Where's revival start? Let's make a big, a big event and start a revival. Yeah, God's like, all, oh, cool. I was wondering when that was going to happen. Let's, let's see, what day is that? No, that's not good for me. I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. I got a revival going on over here that day. Kinda, you know, it starts with men recognizing their wickedness and start recognizing their... their um, they haven't met the mark. They aren't what they thought they were and saying... God, be merciful. God, be gracious. God, here I am. Take me, use me. And then, boom. This is how revival starts in a marriage. This is how revival starts in a family. This is how revival starts in a personal heart, and it makes a difference. This is how it starts in a church. Uh, Let's have a revival meeting. No, you have personal revival in your own life with God, and it will change the church. When one's on fire, it's easier for the other one to catch on fire. Right? If I have a stick that's on fire, it's a lot easier to make another stick on fire. If no sticks are on fire, that is not good, unless you have a lighter, right? 
Because you, you're as a kid, you're like, I could do it. Every, this is you're a kid. I can do it. I find two sticks, pull them right off the tree. They're all wet. You just got to do it really fast, and your hands are all bleeding and stuff because you're just. You go inside, grab a lighter or a magnifying glass. There we go. Good. <coughs> but we're. It's once it's lit, it's good, and that's the main thing with a fire. You got to keep it going, or else it's it's going to be hard to start it again. There's like a element of. Once it goes, it keeps going, and it starts with you, not them, you, you, personally. So the way you approach this is how you approach everything. Verse 11, nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as a woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. Here you go. Men, you are not isolated on an island. You're not a great king, okay? You are a man. God has put you in authority. He's given you a place. That should terrify you. That should keep you honest. That should make you wonder, am I treating my princess well? And if you're not married, you're like, I'm not married, so this doesn't apply. No, it does apply. You are still supposed to be who you're supposed to be, walking in the authority. Because this is actually has to do with the church leadership too. Those who are called to be who they're supposed to be. But, we're, but it's not like, oh, yeah, man, man is God's gift to women, you know. Or it's, it's that we are all in it together and we are all called to be in it together but to to try and fulfill each other's role is not what we're supposed to be doing it's like the love languages it's like fulfilling uh giving your love language to your spouse they're like thanks that's great but it's not what i want and i'm actually kind of mad because this is what you want oh hey honey happy birthday i bought us jet skis i don't want a jet ski you want a jet ski. This isn't for my birthday. This is for you. And you used it on my birthday. And so you're like, no, this is a grand gesture. You know how much this costs? Yes, I do know how much this costs. And it's for you. And you did it on my birthday. What are you thinking? You know. It actually goes the wrong direction. So you're looking at it like, I can't, I don't need to give you what, I, what I'm supposed to be getting. I need to give you what you need. I'm supposed to do what I'm supposed to do. You're supposed to do what you're supposed to do. And in that, there is a rest and a beauty. It's not, it's not a difference in importance. It's, it's a difference in, in understanding authority and submission. And it, and it starts with our understanding and our submission towards God. We all come from him. You will not be able to submit to one another unless you can submit yourself to God. It's just not going to happen. Because submission is not of the natural man's mindset unless you are bullied into submission. And you're like, oh, no, yeah, I, I got that one. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful thing that comes out of trust and honor towards him. There's no lording over it. Even that we see the way that a shepherd is called or a pastor, a leader, the elders are called in First uh, Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. And I think about this as a man, how the way they're supposed to lead their house. The elders who are among you, I exhort. 
I, who am a former elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. It all kind of falls apart when you start looking at it like not for dishonest gain, which is called manipulation, right? Or compulsion. I just, I just got to do this, right? And not being lords over those entrusted to you. But what does it say? Being examples. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Examples. Alan Redpath um, said this, and I thought it was really good. A man who can only rule by stamping his foot had better remain single. <laughs> I'm like, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> but a man who knows how to govern his house by the love of the Lord through sacrificial sub, uh, submission to the Lord is the man who is going to make a perfect husband. The woman who could not submit to an authority like that had better remain single. Okay. I'm going to read that one again. It's really good. A man who can only rule by stamping his foot had better remain single. But a man who knows how to govern his house by the love of the Lord through sacrificial submission to the Lord is the man who is going to make a perfect husband. The woman who cannot submit to an authority like that had better remain single. Man, you better not think that this is a king thing. You better realize what it means. It means to love and to sacrifice and to submit to the Lord and to take care of that woman. If you don't, if even that's not enough for you, you shouldn't get married. You're like, I already am married. Well, guess what? You have a new ministry. (laughs) Verse 13, he says, judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Cultural implications in mind. Think about that. They're saying, is it proper for this, a woman to go in with this lack of authority and in a sense rebellion? No, she should be understanding the, under the authority of God. I, I understand rebellion. I understand that kind of mindset. I, I am, that is my natural nature is to think different than everybody else kind of. Like I don't, I don't like uh, falling in line. I don't like those kind of things. But there is, a, there is a real joy to being able to do that. I remember playing football in high school and uh, the coaches will break you. All these arrogant kids, right? And they're out there, and they're playing as hard as they can. And they're, they're, they don't care. They're rogue. I'm too good of an athlete. You can't tell me what to do. I don't care. You still need me, blah, blah, blah. And the way that they would do it is they would make us run, and they would make us do, uh, like, burpees. And they would make it, uh, again, again, again. Okay, all right, someone's got the wrong attitude. Let's do it again. But they wouldn't just do it by themselves. They would make everyone do it. Oh, you got a problem. Well, it looks like everyone's going to run again. What? 
you need – and so the, the first time you're like running and you're like, this sucks that we're running, you know. And then the second time and then the third time and then the fourth time. And you're, the next one you're like, oh, if you say one word, I swear to you. Like, you know, everyone's like threatening the person. Like if you mess this up again, I can't run anymore, okay. But we learned that when we found ourselves in that position, I remembered figuring it out during hell week, my senior year. All of us seniors were like, just do everything they say well, as, with the best attitude you can. And when they say jump, you say how high. I don't care how exhausted you are. Your attitude's good. Everything you do is good. You just keep going and going and going and going. Doesn't matter. None of the other stuff matters. And we did that and we found we ran much less. We ended up having to do way less work than we would have done before because they were working something out of us. That year, my senior year, we were like, that was the year that we were supposed to be down as a team. Uh, this team's not going to go very far. And we lost like two of our, three of our first four games we lost to big schools. Uh, that team ended up going to the CIF finals that year because of the attitude of teamwork to recognize, you know what, we are in it together. There are no individuals on this team. We didn't have any real stars. But it led to a team that said, eh, you know what, it doesn't matter. It's, it's not about me. It's about us. Those are the teams that win championships across all sports. We didn't win. We lost in the finals. Talent won out. <laughs> But the ability to get to that place, and once we fell in under the, uh, that like understanding of, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm just going to do it the best I can, knowing that the, there will be a much better outcome than fighting and kicking against the goads. And what happens? It was obvious how much better it was. And the coaches were like, what's wrong with them? What happened? What are they doing? Like, and they're, they're like, like, they're thinking they're going to have to like whip us into shape. And everybody's like, oh, we want more, more pushups. And we're like, well, really? No, but you know, this is that ability to you say, we want more. We're hungry. Let's go. And they're like, oh, I think you guys are good. Let's get out of here. And they're just like, we did something right. We're like, we, we hacked the system is what we did. Most talented. No, most intelligent. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But it's that, that mindset to have, not about yourself. Then verse 14, continuing on with the stuff going on in their day, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Many messages have been spoken about this, right? <laughs> Throughout the years. Uh, we know long hair in and of itself is not a problem. That's the Nazarite vow one Paul himself took. Uh, this was more speaking to men looking, trying to look like a woman, uh, which in Deuteronomy you see is a bit of an issue. He says, uh, but if he says, but if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. This, uh, it was like an appeal to apostolic, uh, apostolic authority, Guzik said. And Paul tells the Corinthian Christians not to be contentious, especially because the churches of God have adopted their customs according to God's truth. We are called to fall under, you, everybody's got to serve somebody. Trust me, you don't want to serve yourself. You are a terrible master. I just know you because you're human. 
and you're going to be flippant and you're going to be exhausted and you will never be fulfilled. We are called to serve God. We are called to honor God. We are called to submit to God above all else. And you might say, I don't have the spouse that is submissive like this. Well, don't worry about them. You worry about you. (laughs) And then you pray. You pray for that to change and you see what that does in their life and you see the effect that it has. And the best part about it is whether anything changes with them or not, you and God are in the right spot. And you're going to find there's a peace there. Even though things might not be perfect, there's a peace in being who you're supposed to be before God. If you're a woman, that's, that's the place to, to honor and to trust your husband, to, to rely on him, to love on him, to help him. Husbands, you're a fool if you don't let your wife be part of the process. <laughs> like, that would be so foolish. L- lean into each other, but don't skirt the authority and be, oh, they'll just take care of it. Be who you're supposed to be. Be who you're called to be. Stand up where you're supposed to stand up. Be uh, that, the one that, that is leading and guiding and, and facilitating growth in your family. If you're not married, let this be true in your life. All of this in everything that you do, not just amongst if you're married or not, but to, to, to be thinking like, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to operate? How do you want me to live in this place and, and, and to uh, encourage and, and to affect the world that we live around? It's submission to him. It's trust in him. And uh, we can do no better than like follow God, right? Is there anything better we can do with our lives? Is there any better plan we can scratch up on a whiteboard at midnight? No, it's like, God, just let let us abide in you, trust you, and follow you. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, this time this morning. And um, God, we pray for all of us, Lord, maybe we have authority issues or maybe we've been burned by